Have you ever found yourself wondering, what else can I listen to on the Osiris Network? Here's another great podcast you can check out. Hey, this is Godweed Evan. Uh, we are a podcast where uh, three friends force another friend, Evan. Hi. To listen to a band he doesn't want to listen to. Ween. It's a journey. It's wonderful. It's funny. And it's filled with great music. Except for the ween. <laughs> and the journey. <laughs> and the friends. So listen to it. Or oh. don't. That's what I wanted to do. Only on the Osiris Podcast Network. Dot com. <laughs> Everybody, this is Donnie B with Female Centrics. We are the first and only female hosted fish community podcast. And we are coming back with part two of our interview with Kate Wiseman, who is the daughter of Ed Wiseman, who is a co-founder of the 12 Tribes cult. And we have back with us uh, Lauren, our co-host. Hello. Hello, hello. And Kate, hello. Hi, thanks yeah. for having me back. Of course, of course. <laughs> so, so this is an amazingly fascinating, wow, just, yeah. So we're going to pretty much just pick up where we left off, which is just, you know, with the passing of your mother, because it's almost like that was a whole part, first part of your mm-hmm. life. And, and, well, you know, I mean, after you left, I guess it would be part three, you know, really, yeah. but, <laughs> but you were about to go into a really... Yeah, intent another intense piece of your life. So, yeah, go ahead, hun. So, my baby brother, who I had raised since birth, really, because my mom was so sick. Um, the weekend before my mother died, he had gone home with one of her nurses, who really, really loved him. And I didn't know this, but she had asked my mom for him, um, knowing that my mom was going to die. But my mom had instructed my dad to get remarried for the sake of us because we needed a mother. And, um, you know, out of the hundreds of people in the community, there were thousands of people in the community, but the hundreds of single people, um, she specifically told him he couldn't marry two specific women. Um, But she wanted him to get remarried. And um, anyway, but she let this woman take care of my brother a lot. He would she would take him home with her for the weekends And so she had taken him home this weekend, and she ended up keeping him for a whole week after my mom died. And that week was kind of a blur for me. But I remember the following Monday, so it had been one week, he came home, and we lived on the third floor of our house, and he came running up the stairs, like crawling up the stairs, and and then holding onto the railing and running down the hallway and crawling up the stairs again, and he ran down and opened her room, and he said, my mama go. Oh, Jesus. And everybody there was like, Mama's all gone. Mm. Actually, I said, Mama's all gone. And everybody there started crying. And he's like, Mama, all gone. And, oh, that was just like so heartbreaking to me. And then I found out that they were coming to take all of his stuff. And I watched them take his Mm. diaper stacker off the wall, take his dresser out of the room, take all of his clothes out of the closet. And I was beside myself 
sobbing. I mean, here I already just lost my mother and now my baby brother is leaving. And my dad had given him to that couple that lived in southern Vermont. So they left and I was just numb. Did you have two younger brothers or just one? Three. You had three younger brothers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Were you close with the other two? I hated the one under me, Zeb. Oh my God, I hated him so much. We fought like cats and dogs. I loved Hanan. He was such a sweet boy. He was almost four. Um, and I don't remember a lot. I just remember that um, Gene Spriggs called all these meetings and they were having meetings every day and they called them body meetings where the whole entire community of like baptized members would go and the only people that didn't go were the kids and um, they basically told my dad that he was a terrible father and that my mom my mom was a terrible mother and he didn't deserve his children and he if he wanted them to have any hope for salvation that basically what they told my mom about you know God healing her or not um, but God didn't heal her so clearly she you know mm. could her sin was too great. Mm. Um, so they told my dad if we had a chance of making it to the kingdom, as they call like heaven, um, that he needed to give us away. And I see in retrospect that that was the founder's selfishness because my dad was always gone. My mom raised us. So if my dad suddenly had to raise us, then he loses his right hand man. So Jesus. Um, my dad basically just gave all of us kids up to anybody who would take us. And this couple in Burlington, Vermont, that I had never spoken to before, had asked for me. Their oldest child was four. They only had one child at the time. Hmm. And, um, no, she had just had a baby. Yeah. So were they member? Were they baptized they, oh members? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so they were yeah. baptized members, yeah. and then they. He came. was actually the son of the woman who had gotten me in trouble back when I was eight years old, mm. and what and that I stayed with and wouldn't let me talk to my parents for two months. Mm. He was her son, and um, my dad. I remember it was <laughs> so. First, my dad. Right when my mom died, my dad wanted to do like this trial phase with them and he went to florida for five weeks to just like walk on the beach and like mourn my mother and he sent me to burlington without even taking me there to introduce me i don't believe i don't really remember getting there i just remember being there and getting beat all the time Wow! like i remember we hiked mount mansfield one day and this our like guide was this single guy probably like in his 30s I was 11 and he at one point in the hike he was like who wants to be carried and like we're all older kids like mm. and he was like you I'm gonna carry you for a while and I was like I don't want to be carried yeah I I'm, I don't want to be carried I'm no I'm, I'm fine like I want to walk and all the other adults were said he said he wanted to carry you you do what he said. So he picked me up. Like, You're 11. I'm 11. Jeez. He picked me up like facing him. And he had a very hard on. Ugh. And he was rubbing me over it. <gasps> oh, my God. And I screamed. 
put me down. I mean, screamed. Yeah. And he put me down. Oh. And they, when we got back, they told my, what would be my foster parents, what had happened. And they beat the crap out of me for being disrespectful to adults. I never told anybody why I screamed, put me down. Wow. But that's why I screamed, yeah. put me oh, down. God, that's so gross. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And that was the longest five weeks of my entire life. I hated them so much. They were evil. Mm. They were awful, awful people. There was a really, really good friend of my mom. She's the sweetest woman that ever lived. And they have eight kids. They lived there. They're, they have a daughter, Sarah, that's two weeks younger than me. Our moms are pregnant together. They're both from the South. And she just wanted me to be with them all the time. But because I liked them, they wouldn't let me be with them ever. Um, so then after that five-week trial, I went to Boston with the people that I loved the most that had taken care of us while my mom was sick. And um, I was there. My dad went to Europe again for six weeks. And it felt like, that, like I was in Boston for two days. And that five weeks I was in Burlington felt like a lifetime. And so when my dad came home, I, I don't know, I, I guess I was sure I was going to stay in Boston with them. And he told me I was moving to Burlington. Oh, my God. What a nightmare. Yeah. Terrifying. So the day after Christmas, he drove me there, December 26, 1990. He drove me to Burlington that night and dropped me off. And I just remember, like, crying myself to sleep. I developed an eating disorder. I never thought I was fat. I was not anorexic. I was accused of being anorexic my whole entire life, but I never was. Um, but I developed an eating disorder, and I think that I was actually homesick because I started um, throwing up all night long, like 15 times a night, literally three times a week, and I did that for like two years. Mm. I was so skinny. When I turned 12, I weighed 54 pounds. Oh, and I assume you didn't have any contact with your brothers at this time or no your contact. no contact. I wanted to talk to my friends from Island Pond and they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me write them letters. They wanted no contact. They wouldn't let me talk to my dad. They said if I wanted to talk to my dad, I could write him a letter and they had to read it first. So I would write my dad letters, just everything I wanted to say, and then I would shred them up. And I would never send them. Everybody had moved on. Nobody was sad about my mom. Um, so I didn't let anybody see, but I cried myself to sleep every night. And you weren't, weren't in school then? Yeah, I was in school. Oh, you were at public Homeschool? school? No, no, no. No, no, no. It's all homeschool. Yeah. Homeschool okay. and working all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was there... I cooked dinner. by. We had 63 people that lived in our house. And I made dinner by myself once a week. Jeez. You had 63 people in the house in Burlington? Yep. So was it? Different members of the church, oh, yeah. all yep. just a whole. That's how all of our houses were. That's all the houses were. We the never rooms? had our own house. Each family has one room. Wow! Or oh, like and the parents... you were with the foster people yeah. and the wow in one room. Would you would you all sleep in one room? So they made me sleep in their room for a while, and that was so creepy. Um, but then yeah. I moved up to like the single ladies' room. Okay, and yeah. um, yeah. Um, and, and then, so uh, it was really difficult for me to eat. And every day at lunch, I was the last person done. And I would try so hard. And the food was so disgusting. This like deadhead that had taken way too much acid. And really, I mean, she was insane. Mm. She <laughs> joined the cult. Because at this point, deadheads were just pouring, pouring in. Pouring in. And this oh, is, yeah. now this was the house that you were next to Nectar's and in so, between two fraternities? 
So we lived in between two fraternities up on the UVM campus. Wow. But we um, leased a storefront down on Main Street right next to Nectar's called the Strictly Vermont Store. And we sold furniture and candles and stuff. In 1990. Yep. Wow. Hades. And did you work at that store? Yeah. I would work like with people. Like mm-hmm. if it was their night, like I would go and work with them um, and like clean and stuff. Um, but anyway, in in school, when I would eat lunch... If I was the last person done, which I was every day, I would get beat with one of those big paddles that I told you about. Mm. And so one day um, I was climbing up on, I couldn't even sit down. My butt hurt so bad. My butt was black, completely black. Like, Jeez. And one day I was climbing up. I lived on the top bunk. I was climbing up onto the top bunk and the girl that lived on the bed across, um, she was the daughter of the family with eight kids who really, really were so kind to me. Um, she saw that my butt was black and she totally freaked and went and told her mother. Her mother went to my foster parents and, um, they told me that they were going to start spanking me on my hands until my butt cleared up because they didn't want child services to be notified. Like telling you this. Yeah. So she did this form of like Chinese torture instead of spanking me hard she would, I would stand and look at the clock. She would make me hold my hands together and touch them together. And she would just hit them like one and then the other for 15 minutes. She would spank me all the time. I literally got spanked for everything imaginable. Like she, I, my chore was to clean the bathroom and she would say, you have 20 minutes to clean it. And it was like a full bathroom with like a shower and a tub and tile. I had to scrub all the tile and she would say, do you think that you could have done it faster? Like, do you think you were dissipating? And I would like rack my brain and think like, I don't want to displease God. So I would always admit to like dissipating or whatever. And so she would spank me. Um, and multiple times I was accused of things I didn't do there and like locked in my room for a week, an entire week. Or one time I had to sit in their bedroom on their rocking chair for a whole week. What? Just with bread and water. Yeah. Oh my. It just, it baffles me what people get out of this. Like, what is that? Like, you're so, and to call yourselves people the 12 tribes. Yeah. Like, and they you say know, our to, children are like, the most important thing to us. And then, meanwhile, there's all these deadheads coming around, peace, love. And, and the thing is, is the people who joined, they were so nice to. There was such course, a different yeah. standard. Um, like if you came, if people came in with like a degree, they would pay for them to get a, a master's or whatever could help them. But they wouldn't even let us get high school diplomas because they didn't want us to make it in the real world. They don't like they'll be really nice to the people who join, but they also don't care if they leave. But the people who were born there. God forbid we would ever leave. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, OK, so you're you're working next nectars. And so. Um, and you're how old this way? I'm 11. You're 11. Okay. So, and then did you start noticing fish? Or so, we, so, like, so the fraternities on either side of us would have these huge yeah. parties in their front yard all the time, which was literally like our front yard. <sighs> and I remember standing outside and my friend Sarah was like, and they would blast their music. And my friend Sarah was like, I know that song. She starts singing it. And I was like, what is it? She's like, that's the Grateful Dead. And her older sister played flute and would go to all the dead shows and she was totally into it. And she was like 17 or something at the Mm. time. 
and I idolized her. And I played flute too. I had we had started a children's band in Boston when I was ten, and we would play like at the Expo Center in front of thousands of people, what? and people were fascinated because we were all kids. It was so fun. We had an Irish band. What? Yeah. Jeez. So by the time so we were starting a children's band in in Burlington too. Mm-hmm. And I started playing the flute in addition to like the Irish whistles and the recorder and stuff. And um, so, yeah, I idolized her older sister who went to all the dead shows and she dressed really hippie. And mm-hmm. and um, I was like, that's a Grateful Dead. She's like, yeah, I know a bunch of songs. And it was like super taboo because you could only play like cult music. Yeah, yeah. And then I started hearing more songs and they're like, this is Fish. This is a cool band. It started at Nectar's. And... I I would work second shift on like Thursdays with this really cool couple that wasn't my foster parents down at the Strictly Vermont store. And I loved it. It was like my favorite night of the week. And she would bring me over to Nectar's and like tell me about fish and stuff. And did you get to see him then? I didn't. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Was, I saw like, I, I was like, all of it. So you were cool. just in the middle of yeah. all yeah. of it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know. But really an think... outsider at the same time. Yeah, totally. 100%. <gasps> wow. Yeah. But I didn't think a lot of it, like, it's not like I started listening to Fish. I just thought all that was super cool. Mm. And like a extra window virtually. As soon as mm. my mom died, I wanted so bad to to be a doctor, to go to school and be a doctor. So, you know, I'm only 11, but there's all these kids in college. And I would like think I I wish so bad I could grow up and go to college, you know. Mm. Um, So I kind of idolize these kids. They're listening to The Grateful Dead and Fish and... You know, so was the bus going to shows at this point? Oh, yes. Like, so the bus was Every heavily. Every single dead show. Was they it... were going to all the dead shows. They didn't really care about fish. Okay. So they were going. Who told them that the this is a this is a great recruiting um, thing we have going on? Did was it just organically? Yeah, I think. Or I was wondered how. Who was I the mean, first probably one? like one deadhead came and was like, "Hey, this is what we're all looking for," you know? Yeah, peace and love, and and so so it's a it's a perfect place for two types of people: extremely lazy people who want a house and hot food, but don't want to have to work for it because your mortgage is going to be paid. You're going to get fed. You're going to be asked to do dishes or do some stupid thing, but like you don't have to pay for your life. Yeah, yeah. Or people that w- have like a power trip. Mm. And they just need that power over mm. other people. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, at so shortly, so you're in Vermont, and this is going on. Like, how long were you there during that time? I was there for three and a half years, just enduring this yeah. so torture. In, and... So my dad, my dad dropped me off in December of 1990. In January, he came to visit me a month later. And um, it was the end of January, and I remember I had been doing dishes all night, and my sleeves were super wet, and my dad was leaving. And I went outside to the car, and I was standing there, freezing cold. You know, this is January in northern Vermont, and I was sobbing, saying, you can't leave me here. You cannot leave me here. Dad, please take me with me, with you. And he just got in his car and drove away. And, yeah, so the next few years, Burlington was awful, Mm. absolutely awful. It was horrific. Um, But then when I was 14, um, I found out that I had a sister by my mother. What? Yes. 
My mother had had her in high school, and her mother told her that if she loved her, that she and wanted a good life for her, she would give her up for adoption because they could not afford and this to is give with her a good dad. life. No, 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 no. This no. was the oh, first okay. person she, she had sex with oh, in high school. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So she has my sister at seventeen. Never got over it. Yeah. She, I, I never knew, but all my mom's close friends said she always would talk about her and cry about mm-hmm. her, and. It's funny because I used to say, why don't I have an older sister? Like, I wanted a baby sister, but I was mad that I didn't have an older sister. I don't know if I felt something, but Mm -hmm. anyway, so I find out I have this sister, and I'm like, I don't believe, none of us believe my dad. My brothers and I were like, do you believe dad? We're like, no. Um, But then we meet her, and she looks like my mom, and she talks like my mom. She writes like my mom. The saddest thing is my mom went to find her a few different times, and she went again when she was terminally ill, one last time. And each time she went down, she would get cold feet thinking, what if she doesn't know she's adopted and I'm going to ruin her life? I can't live with the guilt of ruining her life when I mm-hmm. already ruin- have so much guilt. Mm-hmm. But my sister knew she was adopted her whole life. Her parents wanted her dad was going to help her find her, my mom at 18. They had said, as soon as you turn 18, come in. Well, the adoption agency will open up the records for you. She went in on her 18th birthday, and they had just passed a law that you couldn't do that anymore. So she went through five years of red tape, and she finally found us eight months after my mom died. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, they decide when my sister comes up to visit, I'm 14. I go down to southern Vermont where my dad lived and a few of my brothers lived, and um they decide to try to do this trial like family living together thing. So um, I also didn't mention that my dad married. um, He was ordered to marry this person um, by Gene Spriggs. Um, Eight months after my mom died, my dad married his attorney. That is one of the two people that my mom said that one of the two people absolutely do not marry her. She never had kids. She hated kids. And um, so it was either her or us. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, my parents, I mean, my dad married her eight months after my mom died. Is he still married cult- to her now? Yes. Wow. Awesome. So we did this trial, like, living with them and the Spriggs and everything out in Missouri. It lasted three months, and it was an absolute nightmare with my stepmother. Oh my gosh. And so we came back. Did you remain in contact with your sister? Yes. Okay. And was she part did she no, kind of no, join no, the culture? No, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um so we moved back east and I lived with them a little bit. Um and then they tricked me and they told me that my foster parents wanted me to go back to deliver their baby. This is the first baby I delivered. And um, they lived in southern Vermont and Bellows Falls on a huge organic farm. And that I would be gone for two weeks. I was living in Boston at the time. And he had no intention of me ever coming back. Your dad. 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 Yeah, but he didn't tell me. He lied to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I went there and um, I was absolutely devastated that my dad would lie to me like that. I hated those people so much. Mm -hmm. And... 
I was 15, and I fell in love with a boy there. He was 17, and his family was so kind to me. His father had, like, stepped down from being an elder because of the stuff that they had said about my mother. Um, what I what I failed to mention is right after I moved to Burlington, um, Gene Spriggs wrote 20 what they call teachings, like like, you know, 20 to 40 pages of, like, instruction, and they were all about my mother and my family. What? Ten of them were called authority teachings, and ten of them were called reasoning teachings. And um, my foster father would make me sit in the very front of the room, and this is, like, three households of people, so, like, over 100 people. And he would make me sit in the very front, and he would say, you listen, because this is about you and your evil family. And it was horrifying, and I had to sit there every single week for 20 weeks. What were the kind of things that were in these teachings? Oh, they were awful. And they would just pick our family apart. Like, my brother was so awful because my mother didn't receive the discipline of God. And, oh, my gosh. And if you don't want to die, basically, you better not ever be like this horrible family. Oh, but your dad was Albert's, was his, was Gene Spriggs, like, right-hand man. Yes, but it was was almost like he was his little bitch. He had no problem humiliating him. Yet, he better be right there to do all the stuff he wants because the people wanted to listen to my dad because my dad's a good talker. So he was very um, useful to him. Mm -hmm. Um, This is just wow. Like this woman joined the community in Burlington and she came up to me once and she said, you know, I never met your mother, but I know she was an evil, wicked woman. (gasps) Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. I I can't... um... Wow. Yeah. So during that time, this man had stepped down from government there because he said, your mother was the kindest person I have ever known. Yeah. She's so kind and so loving. She, if anybody is like God, your mother is. Yeah. And I just can't, I can't with the judgments. And it got so bad that they ended up leaving the community. With the love of your life. With the love of my life. And Mm -hmm. when they did, I was absolutely devastated i was 16 and they tried to get me to leave they would call because they knew what days what times i would be in the kitchen by myself because i cooked tons of meals and um i would secretly meet up with him but i wouldn't touch him like he would put his arm around me and i would have my hands by my side because i thought if i put my arm around him i back i would get struck dead by god and they were like leave like his dad was like i'll take care of you you can be part of our family and I said, my dad has already lost my mom. I can't do it to him. I'm all he has left. Like, I literally stayed for my dad. I didn't believe in God. I literally hated everybody. I hated the life. I hated the way we had to dress. I hated everything. But, but you weren't with your dad, though, were you? Like, no, that was the But I that's still the believe that yeah. he wanted to, like, be my father. Yeah. Even though now that I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no way someone could tell me that I can't raise my kids. All right. So at this point, we're going to take a another break, and uh, we'll be back in a second. All right. So... We're back. 
and um, you had just gone through losing your first love, mm-hmm. and you were going to be again moving on. And this is almost at the point it would have been at the start of you traveling on the purple bus and cooking food, and you went to the great went. Yes. Right. Okay. So mm-hmm. that summer, Jerry died. Yeah, 95. And yeah, sure. At this point, mm-hmm. like 50% of the community is ex deadheads. Wow. I mean, like a huge, huge amount. And so people were just beside themselves, like mm-hmm. screaming and crying. And just, it was really intense. And I, I had never, I was about to go to my first Grateful Dead show and pass out the pamphlets on the bus, but I didn't go. And um, so the day Jerry died, you wake up and just it's turmoil. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's awful. And, um, you know, then the, the next few months were a blur. But then I started my um, oldest brother is a phenomenal musician. He was composing music at, you know, a small child. He taught himself to play piano at four years old. And um, we played music with this incredible violin player who had been classically trained and he he didn't grow up there. He joined the cult. And. My foster parents let me go out on my own finally right after I turned 17. Mm. And we moved to Woodstock, New York. And we played. It was the funnest. Like, I went from, like, total torture to so much fun. You're in your groove. Yeah. We were with, um, you know, the McShane family. Are, they're just the, the most incredible family. Mm-hmm. She, his wife is just the most awesome person you've ever met. And they had these awesome kids. And my brother and him and I played music in the green. We opened our cases. And I would make bread and cookies every night. And his wife would walk up and down the streets and sell them during the day. And that's how we supported ourselves. It was so fun. Yeah. And so we started doing, we started playing for the Contra Dance, like every Sunday. Um, then we started doing street festivals. And then we got to the point where we were like the opening band for these street festivals. And meanwhile, and you're not really getting any shit from Sprigs nope, anymore. No, any that. That's I don't all. even know where they I think they're in Europe or they're in Brazil. They're gotcha. in Brazil at yeah, this yeah, time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're like not even around. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, super fun. And then I ended up moving to Boston and um, living with the people that I had wanted to live with originally mm-hmm. to date. The only people that were ever really, really just super kind to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcel Massey, he was like a father to me. He, I, he oh my God, like I, I wouldn't be alive without him. Um, anyway, he started, he had this idea to do, so in, in Glastonbury, England, um, oh, they, they, there's that huge festival. We're going to try to go this year, actually. And, are June. you? Yeah, we're trying. We're trying. So the cult <laughs> over there had a huge restaurant at Glastonbury sure. every year. Yeah. And so we were like, let's start doing that over here. Ah, so we started doing these small festivals, and the same person who puts on Glastonbury puts on some festivals here. Yeah. So we start doing some in, like, you know, Staten Island and, you know, different places around New York City and in upstate New York and just in Massachusetts, just all these, you know, Modown. Like, we just started doing these little music festivals, and we had this, like, 20 by 20 cafe that we'd put up, and I started running it. Mm. And... I loved it because, mm-hmm. like, playing music and just being out in that scene. I was such a hippie mm-hmm. at heart, you know. Mm-hmm. I really was, and um, oh my god, I loved it so much. And then we started really streamlining and getting really good at these little festivals. And so the next year, we decide to do the Great Went, and I had been to like 
a few fish shows outside, like passing out tracks, but I hadn't been to a fish show and I was super excited. So, because we're in the venue and, you know, we have the, the vendor's bracelets we can get anywhere. And um, our cafe is 24-7 and I have a lot of responsibility. You know, I'm in charge of all the food. And um, I snuck away, I remember <laughs> sneaking away and going down and just being like, mind blown absolutely mind blown it was like for the first time like something came alive inside of me and I I couldn't believe it and after that I mean I had such a fun year those the like from 17 till I got married were so fun for me Mm -hmm. because I lived in Boston I lived in upstate New York I moved a lot um I opened a few restaurants one in Hyannis um I helped open the big one in Boston when I was like 14 or 15 and 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 then doing these mobile restaurants and it was just it was so fun yeah so playing music we play music all the time me and my my best friends we just like play music and ran restaurants and we weren't like in the community really because we were always like either getting ready to go or going or gone yeah so when you were at the great one did you get to keep some of the money did you get to uh no no absolutely not no and you're sober the whole time. So you're just oh, watching yeah. all of that. You know, because I lived in my truck and did the entire tour that summer. That's so cool. Yeah, definitely. So I was, I was selling burritos. I was in a competition. Yeah, we yeah, were right, selling burritos. Right? Guadalupe that's, style bean burritos. We made them at freaking rest stops in the back awesome. of our car. <laughs> just can't even. Like, oh, gross. That was actually the only <laughs> festival that we served burritos. Because really? after that, we're like, this is way too complicated. Uh, you didn't want to go against ours. So, yeah, no, we I didn't. Get it. We couldn't compete. <laughs> Yours were the best. <laughs> so gross (laughs) but we had we would have like five lines of a hundred people at all times Mm -hmm. sorry mike mike father um oh i remember yeah no packed packed yeah Yeah? Mm -hmm. i remember one morning like so i hadn't been around like the drug scene really you know and i was like you know the cult people did the the medic tent and everything and i remember Early in the morning, I was the only person in the whole restaurant because, or it's not a restaurant, but like the cafe, because, you know, it's seven in the morning, everybody's sleeping, nobody's buying food. And this guy comes up and he looks up and we serve blueberry pancakes and, and wraps, like turkey wraps and Greek wraps. And then we had these burritos and he looks at the menu. He's like, uh, could I have a pancake and a wrap? And I could tell he was not okay. And I was like, well, do you want a pancake or a wrap? And he's like, uh, yeah. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to give him some pancakes. So I give him an order of pancakes, and he just throws his wallet up on the counter. And he, it's like, you know, an inch thick of $100 bills. <laughs> I could have, like, me. literally me. made off. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, but I was like, you know what? Just take the pancakes. There's no way I'm, like, reaching into that going wallet. in there. Yeah, you don't even know what's yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. And then he's, like, spilling a syrup. I'm like, sir, you're spilling your syrup. And then I thought he sat down right against the counter and I couldn't see because our counters were high. And all of a sudden I see all these people uh, facing us like, oh, oh, my God. He had overdosed on heroin. <gasps> yeah, right there. In, front in of the me. pancake line. Yeah. Did he- well, no one was in line because it's seven in the morning yeah. and I was there by myself. Did he die? He did not die. So we found out that I think they had just, Narcan had just become, I don't know if it was actually Narcan, but one of the paramedics that were from our cult said, we have this awesome drug that it doesn't matter what they OD'd on, if we give it, if it was heroin, it will reverse it. So I feel like that was Narcan. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And then he told us a couple days later that he actually lived, but like he coded many times on the way to the hospital. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that was like my introduction. And then, you know, we did Oswego and I mean, just lemon wheel and all that. And you were Woodstock 99. Yes, I was. So this is cool. So Mm -hmm. um, on Oswego, we profited about $40,000. So we took that money. And my now ex-husband, which was not my husband at the time, we ran them together. He did the financial part. I did the food. We did. We ran this business very well together. We took that $40,000 and made our food order for Woodstock 99. So when we walked into Woodstock, we were even and clear. And we made, ready for this? Mm -hmm. $115,000 in three days. Wow. Yep. And that was, you know, all the riots and the fires. If we had had full, and that, so that was like a whole day that we didn't have any business because of that. Oh, really? Why why didn't you have any business? Oh, everyone was fleeing. I mean, people. Oh, oh my God. I was saying, why are we staying? Why do we care about this cafe? I was terrified. What was going on there? I don't know. They they were so upset about the food prices, weren't they? Not ours, though. (laughs) Not yours. So the organizers of this event were extremely just horrible, Greedy. greedy people. And I really do think it was the same organizers from Glastonbury, but I'm not sure. They were just really big festival, like, organizers water was like $14 they would not let us in every other festival we served water and orange juice and coffee and whatever they would not let any vendor serve water or orange juice all we could serve was coffee could not and there was a bunch of stuff we couldn't sell ice like and they had these these like tents set up and they were the only ones that could sell that stuff and it was I mean this is 1999 and a tiny bottle of water was six dollars yeah what Yes, and it was over 100 degrees that whole weekend with no shade. Wow. It was so hot. It had been so hot at Oswego. It was like this stretch of just extreme heat in New York. And so people just got so mad and started these fires, and they started burning. Like, I think it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers or maybe Dave Matthews. Their entire band trailer got burned. Like, they were just going. We had Mm -hmm. all of our... Like all of us vendors had 53 foot trailers there Mm -hmm. and um, they were just burning them. I had gone into um, this tent, this huge tent that that sold clothing. It was like a clothing store. Mm -hmm. And I was like picking out some cute like skirt or something. And um, 20 minutes later, that whole thing burned. They lost all their merchandise. What? People were just rioting. it, It was just, it was too much. Wow. Yeah. And so we were terrified. The only reason our trailer didn't get burned is because we have so many employees. So we had seven guys on the top of our trailer and people were trying to start like light on fire and they would catch them. Mm-hmm. What? This I, huge... this. I mean, I knew it was a shit mm-hmm. show, but I didn't know yeah, it, was it was a like, shit wow. show. And, I, wow. and I had walking pneumonia. I was so incredibly sick. I was sick at Oswego. I, oh my God. And we never slept because I had to make, do all the preps, getting ready for the food. And then I was the only person running it, and it was 24 hours, so I would go to try to sleep, and someone would wake me up. We're out of pancake batter. What do we do? Or we're out of this. Like, And so I'm 20 at this time, and I remember that final morning, as sick as a dog. I was just my, my ex and I actually were sitting there. He was on, like, one end of the cafe, and I was on the other end. There's nobody anywhere, and we're still open because we're open 24 hours, and 
right as this like dawn starts coming over the horizon, I see this whole just wall as far as I could see of like movement. It was troops marching in National Guard. What? Yes. They like came. A Game yep. of Thrones battle. I, heard, I started. I was like, I mean, I didn't start crying because I never cried, but yeah. I felt like if I was a normal person, I would have started crying. I felt so much emotion Whoa. and so much relief that they were here to protect us, and we served them like coffee and and um, wow. pancakes all morning. Jesus. So at this point, so at what point did the music stop? Oh, it had stopped like the day before, right when the when the rioting started. I mean, yeah. It was awful. Oh my goodness. It was horrifying. Yeah. Wow. I was living in Oregon at the time and in like Grateful Deadland and I have a TV and it was yeah. before social media. Like I knew it was bad, but like I had no idea it was that. And it was even so sad Jesus. because it was supposed to be like Woodstock, the reliving man, Woodstock, right? you know, and Woodstock was so beautiful, uh, even with really, really harsh circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just awful. Wow. But we made a lot of money. Made a lot of yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. How crazy. Yeah. So you're involved with all these festivals and you were saying um, that the guy you were doing these festivals with, that you're working with, almost like business partners in a way. Um, uh, talk about that piece because you were, you know, not married at that point where most women in the try in the cult were. Yes. Most girls at yeah. that point got married at like 17 or 18 because there's no physical contact before marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, your first kiss is on your wedding day. Um, so yes, I was getting a lot of pressure. I really liked actually this boy. Um, I, I guess I didn't feel super sexually attracted to him, but very emotionally just attracted. He was by far my best friend. We played music together all the time. He was my older brother's best friend and Spriggs was vehemently against it. And he finally said that it was because we would get along too well and that we needed God. I needed mm, God in my marriage because I'm a strong woman. Yep. So I need someone that I don't really get along with that rules over me better um, to be saved so that I don't turn out like my mother. You need to be miserable. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. They split us up and we never even did anything, but we really enjoyed each other's company. We had really good conversations. Um, You know, I I guess there wasn't a huge like sexual attraction, but it was it was very emotionally difficult for me to like, you know, put an end to that. and then they told me, um, th- this couple that I had lived with for years and, and um, you know, Craig and I had become very good friends running these mobile cafes. He was in love with my best friend um, and she happened to be black and they don't do interracial marriages. They do now, but they didn't back then. And her father was adamant that she marry a black man. And, you know, he used to joke that he was going to... S- put his desk outside until he turned black so they could get married. And Mm. they were madly in love with each other. Mm. It breaks my heart that they couldn't have gotten married because she would have made him so happy Mm. and Mm. uh, and where I couldn't, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, um, so those people that I had lived with for years, they had gone to France for a few weeks and they came back and they said, um, you know, we found somebody for you. And I was like, Oh God, please don't tell me you're going to ship me off to France because in the, in the cult, um, the woman goes to wherever the man is from. Mm. So if he's and, from France, you... Yep, if he's from France, you go to France. And like Craig's ex-girlfriend, she married a German man, and she still to this day lives in Germany in the cult. Wow. Yeah. 
So anyway, they were like, we found someone for you. And I was like, who? And they were like, it's Craig. And I was like, what? He's like my best friend. Like, and they're like, no, we really want you next time you see him to think about him in this way because you guys really work well together and we think you would be amazing and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, like seriously, he was like, bless his heart. But, you know, I'm a fiery Aries. He's he was so intense so intense and would like freak out at people. And so I would be like, I would always joke and say, oh, I'm going to stay on this side of the door until you calm down. And we had a good friendship because we had mutual respect. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, he couldn't do what I did and I couldn't do what he did. Yeah. So right. we really ran that business well together. Um, so it was super awkward when all of a sudden they wanted us to like each other. And he tells the kids now that he liked me from the first time he met me. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, he did very quickly, like, fall in love with me. I think he more of, like, fell in love with the idea of me and, like, mm-hmm. you know. The founder. Co-founder's yeah, we're daughter. marrying Eddie Wiseman's daughter. And, and I didn't like really any guys because lots of guys liked me. And I always, always thought, I don't know if they like me just for me or because I'm Um, my dad's daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll have, like, status if they marry me. And so I I just didn't like anybody. And, and, you know, even when I was younger, when guys did like me, my foster parents would yell at me and say it was my fault because I'm a big flirt. So I I was very confused when it came to stuff like that. So this was a really confusing time. And then they started talking to me about, you know, God's will and trusting God and so I said, you know what, I will, I will give it a shot. And there you have to date for three months. And after three months, you need to know whether you want to get married or not. And so I said, I'll do, I'll do that. And I was so sincere. I was praying to God every day, like, please open my heart to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just felt nothing for him, but we were great friends. And, um, but he started really liking me and it totally creeped me out because we were good friends. Yeah, yeah. And So I I couldn't even do the whole three-month thing. He lived in New Jersey. I lived in Boston. He would come up. And finally, I was like, you can't, like, please don't come up for the weekend. Like, Mm -hmm. I just, I need some space. I'm totally freaking out. So then we went to a wedding and we had a meeting with my dad. And I said, I have given it three months. Three months was up. I was like, I've given it three months and I don't love him. And Craig said, I think you do love me and you just don't know it. And I said, I really don't. Like, I... I love you as a friend. I mean, mm-hmm. I wrote him all these letters before. I love you so much because I do. Yeah. I loved him so much yeah. as a friend. Sure. But yes. I didn't have that. That spark. That No. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so my dad said, I'll think about it. And I'm like, I did what you said. I literally did what you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even the day that we were going on our like date, you have to announce it to the call. I was like sick to my stomach. And Craig had to even come up and like talk me off a ledge before I went down to the gathering. Like, there was just something. I, I just could never get behind it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So my dad says, I'll think about it and I'll get back to you. So we have a wedding in Boston the next week. My dad comes to the wedding. And I was like, it's been a week. Yeah. <laughs> like, have you thought about it? Like, what's going on? And, you know, poor Craig's like in limbo over there, like wanting to hang out with me. But like, and he said, I'll talk to you later. And so after the wedding, it was really weird. My dad literally wouldn't talk to me the whole wedding. But I was doing food and I was busy and doing yeah. playing music and stuff. So after the wedding, um, the people who had initially told us that we should get married told Craig and I both that we needed to drive down to the Cape um, to this 
special house they always had there where they would have meetings where Spriggs and his wife would stay. Spriggs and his wife never had to be in the community. They never had to abide by the rules that everybody else did. They always had their own houses. Really? So they weren't living? Never. What? And everybody else lived squished in these houses. And and they'd like defend it because, oh, they need this stuff. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, These people. We go down to this meeting, have no idea what it's about. I walk in and there's my dad and my stepmom and like 15 other people. And they're like, you know, my dad says, sit down. He's like, so we've been talking and we feel like you're not mature enough to be on a waiting period. As if like, I'm not the one that asked to go off. And he was like, so we're taking you off your waiting period and you're going to move to Hyannis with like this family because you need some serious. How old were you? I was 21. <laughs> yeah. Holy. So I moved to Hyannis and, you know, worked doubles every single day in the restaurant. And this man literally tortured me to the point that I was completely suicidal. I wanted to die. I had no reason to live anymore. I, li- I wanted to die so bad. And I finally. Wait, 21. And, this is different, yeah. though. I mean, it's not and like he would do terrible things to me and, tell, just... and say terrible things to me. And he would say to me. The things I say to you are only for you. Don't you tell your dad. Don't you tell anybody. And so finally one day, I, I would dream of like taking, I don't know why this is so weird, but I would dream of taking like a case of water out to the National Seashore because I lived on Cape Cod and like just sitting out there until my water ran out and I died on the beach. Like I just thought that that would be great just being in like solitude. And we we would take all the tip money from the restaurant and put it in a bucket and that's what we like paid our mortgage with and whatever. Um, so I called my dad one day, he lived in New York and I said, would I get like, when they like publicly shame you and, and you like are like disconnected from like God or whatever they call it, like cut off. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really humiliating. So I said, would I get cut off if I stole tip money and got a bus ticket to come see you. Because I thought, I'm either going to do that or I'm going to kill myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I literally just gave up all will to live. It had just gotten so hard. And so he was like, what is going on? And finally, the guy who had been torturing me said, you want to know why I've been treating you like this? And I said, yes, I've never done anything wrong. Never. Like, I don't listen to bad worldly music. I don't go anywhere I'm not supposed to. I don't buy anything for myself. I work my butt off for God. Like, I don't know why you're treating me like this. And he said, it's because anybody who can go off a waiting period, the dating dating period, with such a godly man is got to be full of sin. And he said, you are so... Such a terrible person. God doesn't even need you. The only reason why you're here is because you need God so bad. And so then they had all these people come and talk to me and they said, you know, it's God's will. The feelings will come later. If you don't do this, like you will go to hell. Like this is God's will. And this guy told me this story about how, you know, some pastor told him once that it's God's will for you to marry this woman. And he said, I had no like sexual attraction towards her, but I, I, you know, I, believed in in his faith and I married her and guess what soon as I married her totally attracted to her and I'm still attracted to her today and they had been married like 30 years Mm -hmm. so I literally believed like this is God's will I do not want to go to hell and I believed 100% that those feelings would come and so I agreed to marry him Jesus 
Wow. So 21. Uh, yeah, I got married, married at 22. 22. I got married at 22, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. like, the, the torture of six months happened in, you know, our like, the last part of me being 21. Yeah, yeah. And then... And then how soon after did you have your first baby? Like, literally immediately. I got pregnant okay. with Ben immediately. They don't believe in birth control at all. Um, so any form, like, no. like whatever, rhythm, pull out, anything. Just, yeah, yeah wow, wow, wow. Yeah. And wow. I, I had broken my back when I was 10, um, when my mother was sick, and I didn't get medical treatment. So it healed very wrong. And uh, what we didn't realize is I wouldn't be able to have babies naturally. So when Ben... Um, started descending, he his head flexed backwards because my pelvis is tilted extremely forward. Yeah, and he was stuck like that with my body just pressing on him. I was having at one point twenty minute long contractions. No, I should have uh, died. I don't know why I didn't what? die. I should have gotten a bandles ring and my uterus should have ruptured. But I was in extremely hard transition labor for ninety four hours. Were you in the <sighs> hospital or at home? I was home? not in the hospital. You're at home, I was completely delirious. I didn't know that I was in labor. I didn't know I was having a baby. I, I thought it was like all these different things. It was the most bizarre experience I have ever. And that's ninety four hours. So there's no morphine. There's no anything in between there. Like no, no nothing. Oh, no. Ninety four hours. Yes, I would fall fast asleep, and I'm not a snorer. I would yeah. be snoring. They said like at the end of my contraction, and then I, it's like my body would feel it coming, and and I would be dreaming like it's like a pile of tires, and I'm like I don't need those. I don't need those. I already changed my tires. Weird shit. Like yeah. these, it's clothes. Each time it was something different, and I would be sound asleep. Yeah. Because I was so sleep deprived. I hadn't slept in five days. I was in labor for five days, but the really intense labor was 94 hours, like four days. Um, but then my midwife like did all this research all night, one night. And um, I had been in the bath for, for 13 hours. I had my second bout of 13 hours in the bath. The bath helped me so much, just yeah, like yeah. pouring hot water. And um, she came in and said, God spoke to me. I know what to do. And... Um, she thought she was killed. She thought she killed my baby. She thought he was going to die, but she knew that I was going to die because that morning I just said, totally calm. I looked at her at five in the morning and I said, I think I'm going to die. And I was like, really okay with it. Like I wanted to die. I didn't even know I was going to have a baby. I just wanted to die. Yeah. And I was totally fine with that. I wasn't scared, nothing. Yeah. And, um, she just started sobbing and she went out and did all this re- more research, and she came back and said, I, God spoke to me. And she flexed his head as hard as she could. She pushed on his head to get it out of my pelvis, both from the inside and the outside. I mean, just pushed as hard as she could. And we, I, we felt it and heard it, like, pop. <gasps> and then she, f- she manually flexed it the right way, and he was born right after that. Wow. What? Yep. And you had already, because you were already, you were oh, midwife oh, yeah. through this whole thing. So yep. you attended. Oh, yeah. I delivered so many babies before that. Jesus, Kate. But like, I didn't even know. I was so delirious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the pain, from the sleep deprivation. All of it. Honestly, the sleep de- deprivation was so much yeah, worse than the pain. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was like claustrophobic. Yes. I, I didn't even, like, I, I was losing my mind yep. because I was so tired. Yeah. Yeah, the last part that I was at was like that. It started just getting. Yeah. 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 Wow. So you have Ben. Yes. Yeah, so you have and Ben. And then you have Nate. So I have mostly. Ben. And then we moved to California. 
Right. And that's and when you moved in with the Spriggs at that point yep, again. again. Yes. So this is like, yes. And we had lived with them when we first got married too, and it was awful. And we lived with them again. And Marcia Spriggs was just awful. I mean, awful. And it's funny, the first time. So another family that took care of us when my mom died that were really, really kind to us, right when I moved to California, she died of breast cancer and she had little kids, six kids. Mm. And I just lost it because now I'm a mother and I, I really did not take it well at all. And I started really questioning, like, how could God do this yeah. to right. somebody? Yeah. How could, if God is really as good as we hear that he is, how could he do this to the, all these kids? How could he take their mother take away? Their mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I started questioning things. And I just remember this one day. I don't know why this stands out, but um, my son, Nate, had extremely bad colic. He screamed all the time. Oh, ben was goodness. 19 months old. Yeah. I was cook. I was the only woman in our house. Well, no, there was another woman that had five girls, this tiny little woman that did so much work. She and I were the only two women. And Besides Marsha. Yes, who besides Marsha, who had her own apartment out in the back. Up in her ivory tower. And we were yeah. building, so we had, um, so my husband ran the biggest um, company in the cult called BOJ Construction. And um, we had an office in Boston, which is where we lived there. But then we branched to California because we had a contract with Sunrise Assisted Living to build every single one in the whole country. What? And so, yeah, so we were building like six at a time in California. So we had, I mean, they would You guys ship, are making shit tons oh, of money shit then. tons of money yeah. because you don't pay employees. Nobody has their own money. Nobody. So where was the money going? To the, to the, pot, the yeah. coffers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the, the so Jesus. So um, we had, I mean, they were shipping in men from 18 to 22 from all over the world to work Help for us. Build these. So I'm getting up at, you know, and these guys have to drive like... North of LA, we lived in Vista. So they would have to get up at three o'clock in the morning. I would have to have breakfast for 25 men by 4 a.m. And babies. And, and, and lunches and snack. Two snacks and lunch. You serve men hand and foot. You do their laundry. You fold their laundry. You remake their beds. You change their sheets. Our single men, I did all of that because it was just two of us women. And, and Marcia Spriggs didn't help at all. And... What'd and I was exhausted. Day? I had two babies. Nate yeah. screamed all the time. I, I was literally losing it. Yeah. And on the weekends, we would have a big Friday night celebration where that's like where you invite guests and they see this beautiful, this super good meal and he's dancing and it's like super appealing. So, um, but we had an avocado. They have an avocado ranch like 19 miles away and like 120 people live there. So when we were all together, it was almost 200 people. Yeah. And they would come over to our house on Friday night, and I'm doing the meal by myself. And I remember one day was so stressful because we also had to clean the whole house because we kept the Jewish holidays. So you had to have not one speck of dirt going into the Sabbath. You also had to make all your meals for Saturday because you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And the women did it. No, men never helped with any of that. So I remember Marcia Spriggs, I remember just... Being so behind. I was so behind. I, you know, my baby needed to nurse. He was screaming. I didn't have time. My other baby, I like had woken up early from his nap. He was miserable. And so I put my tiny baby in the car seat on the counter and he was just screaming his head off. And I put my other baby on my back in the back carrier. And uh, Marcia Spriggs comes in all showered with her fancy dress on for the night. And she was like, How's it going? And I said, honestly, not well at all. I need help. 
I desperately need help. Everyone's going to be here for the farm, and you have to be like ready to serve hors d'oeuvres when everybody gets there. I said, everyone's going to be here, and I'm not ready. Like I really need help. And she just looked at me and said, our father's going to give you grace, and walked back out to her Shut apartment. Up. Oh Bam. my God. At that very moment, if I look back now, yeah. that was the moment that I was like, this is fucking done. bullshit. Done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. oh, wow. And just fucking walks out. Yep. <sighs> so, and Marcia, this woman had been Marcia, in Marcia. it, right? This woman had been in and out of your life the whole time. Yeah. And there was all this craziness going on with the, oh, Jesus. She was all, always mean. Yeah, always mm-hmm. mean. Yeah. Terrible human being. Yeah. But was like the queen of everything. Oh, yeah. Everybody but. does whatever she says. Like, she she runs her husband even. Like, in, yeah. like everywhere else, the women have to submit to the men. And sh- they preach it. She yeah. preaches it. She preaches it. The women have to submit to the men. They don't do anything apart from their husband. She runs the 12 tribes. And she has so many little bitches. All these. And it's always men. She doesn't like women. She's yeah. never gotten along with women. She hates women, but she loves men. And we found out how much she loved men. It's a perverted patriarchy. I can't take it. Right? Jesus. Okay, so so you were there in California. Now, I know that you were also running, you had gone back to Boston. Yeah, so then we moved back to Boston a few years later. Mm -hmm. um, And and what was it? You got an email in 2008 is there like a big chunk of me like or something right before that or was well, it like yeah th- there there's a big chunk but we don't need to get into it but you should know that like so there's no touching before marriage there's no uh, marriages are very very sacred in the in the community there is absolutely no infidelity whatsoever it is not tolerated mm-hmm. um one man they had um he was in charge of the whole all the communities in in um eastern united states mm-hmm. and um he had an affair with his secretary. He had a beautiful wife and six kids. He had an affair with his secretary, and he was publicly humiliated, and he was sent away, made to leave the cult and go, and they wanted him to do the most menial job, so they said he had to become a plumber for seven years. All of his kids completely fell off the rails. One of his kids died of an overdose. He became a total alcoholic, his poor wife got all these physical health problems. I mean, their entire family was destroyed because they made him do that when the wife was fine to forgive him. Yeah. Like yeah. she she understood the like stresses and whatever. I mean, not everyone. I wouldn't be understanding, but she was. She yeah. was like super cool. And they have these public and shamings where they would bring. And Marcia yeah. Spriggs. Always making pe- yep. examples of people. Marcia yeah. Spriggs made him leave for seven years. He became an alcoholic. He ended up later in life. Um, driving drunk and killing uh, uh, an 18-year-old mother. And he's never recovered. He has never recovered. Yeah. And, I mean, it sounds messed up that I'm not blaming him. I, I, Yeah, that sucks that that happened. But, like, he was a really great guy, and they were literally the best family. I mean, I used to secretly wish she was my mom because she was so nice. And Marcia Spriggs is the one that, like, she's responsible for all of that. Well, come to find out. Like you asked me about in 2008, we all got an email, only like the leaders of the of the communities from someone who had been a leader who left. Come to find out she had been having 
Marsha Spriggs had been having affairs with multiple men on mm. multiple continents for 20 years. What? Yes. Pedal Every black. single one of oh my, my brothers were made to leave with my dad in Molans for like three months or six months for like hugging girls inappropriately fully clothed. Like they, she tortured literally everybody. Craig and I got a little like frisky, like hugging before we got married. And I got, had a super bad conscience. I thought God would kill me. So I confessed it to my dad mm-hmm. and he told her and she threatened me that we weren't be able to have a wedding. Meanwhile, she is having full-on affairs with married men. Married men. All around the country. All, just around, the, all, all the... around the continent, like in France and Brazil. And and who knows how many more because so many of these boys will, will just protect her no matter what. Mm-hmm. And she would tell them, they were like, we need to confess this. And she would say, no, God forgave it. God's forgiven it. You don't need to say anything. So we finally, finally one of wow. these people left. And sent all of us an email in 2008 Uh telling us. And at that moment, I was just like, I mean, I've lived my whole life torturing myself for the security that I would have Mm -hmm. a a better life. Uh, Because they would always say, we're not living for this life. We're living for the next life. Yeah, yeah, And so, and I believed it. And I was like, oh my God. Now, where the hell this, did she come from? Obviously, she came from a fucking super screwed up life. She was an life. atheist surfer girl in California, and he rescued her. No Yes, way. and converted her. Mm-hmm. Yep. What? Yep. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh, and she's so, they are so judgmental yeah. about how people raise their kids, and they have no kids. <gasps> oh. Convenient. Oh. Yeah. Look at that. I mean, it's. It, this is you know, outrageous. Looking back. Looking back I, I know she was like riddled with guilt because of she, she one time when I was 14, I was there to help open the cafe in Boston. Mm-hmm. I was like laying on this couch talking to her. I was staying with her and my, my shirt came up and she was like, what kind of underwear do you have? So she pulls down my pants. We have to dress like Amish so you can't see anything. Yeah. And she pulls out the, the strap of my underwear and I had bikinis on. And she said, why are you wearing these? Don't you ever wear these? These are evil. These are the, the, this is the root of all evil with women. I'm 14 years old. And I I was like, where is that from? But now, like, in retrospect, you know, like when my mother died and they're telling, writing all these teachings about how evil she was, she was having an affair and her husband knew it and was covering it up. No way. He stayed in, in Vermont and let her be in France with the guy she was shacking up with. Yep, because he couldn't satisfy her. Meanwhile, let's make an example of everybody else. else yeah. Who it's the same gentleman, you know, it's the same guy who founded the gay conversion sure. camp. He and just... now he just came out and mm-hmm. said, I'm gay. I mean, I apologize for, I don't think he understands the years of torture and probably yeah. many suicides he has caused. Yeah. So of- anyway, I, um, that was the beginning of the end for me. Yeah. And I realized I was like, I can't raise my kids here. Mm-mm. I can't do this. I mean, it had gotten way better. Like, you know, when mm-hmm. my kids were born, only the parents could beat them. When we were little, anybody could beat us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't beat my kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, like I spanked my oldest son because I was under this thing. They were like, if you don't, if you don't like beat him, like every time you're supposed to, you're going to be like your mother and he's going to go to hell. And I was so afraid of it. But by the time my second son was born and I saw it like her, mm-hmm. how she was in California, and she like accused me of stuff I never did. She was evil. I was just like, this is... Still is and is in charge. Oh, yeah. I was like, this Jesus. is bullshit. 
And so I, I backed way off with punishing my kids. I never, ever spanked my daughter. I just, no. I yeah. just wasn't going to do it. No, I didn't yeah. care anymore. Yeah. In Boston, we ran everything. We We had a really nice life there. Like, we weren't like... We just were with everybody. It wasn't like leaders and like... And there was uh, hundreds of you living in three different houses, right? Well, you were in Boston, we were pretty small. It was about 100 total. Pretty small in three I mean, houses, though, you know? Yeah. No, that was two houses. Wow. Yeah. At, at one time in Boston, we had like four or five houses, but it had scaled down. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I guess we weren't even 100 people at that point. But raking like in 70. like millions, you were saying, right? And oh, then, yeah. And, but living in poverty at the same time. Uh, well, no, we weren't living in poverty. No, no, not just we like, were you were when able I was to little. a little bit. Okay, so when you I were able little. to like reap a little but bit of benefits of your hard work. in my adult life when BOJ became huge, yeah. and I always lived then in a BOJ house is what they call sure. it, a BOJ community, but there were some very poor communities like Rutland, Vermont, and that that's another thing that bothered me is we said that we modeled after the second book of Acts, and they said they shared everything in common so that there were no needy among us. Mm. And I would bring up to to Sprigg's wife, she would, I remember being at a meeting one time and she was mocking the women in Rutland saying, they say all they have to eat is cabbage. I mean, there's got to be more ways you can make cabbage like, like edible. And I was like, this isn't right. I spoke up and she told me I was out of line. And I, And after that, all the other women went to those meetings and I didn't. I was the only woman in the whole community that didn't go. Because I said, this isn't right. Yeah. We are living in wealth here. Like we could buy whatever we wanted. We made delicious meals. We had tons of protein, like literally whatever we needed. And these poor women are passing out in their pregnancies because they're malnourished. Jesus. Yeah. And she's mocking them because they Mm. don't know how to cook beans like more ways. So... Meanwhile, I'm sure she has never had a meal cooked for no. her. In well, she's well, she's had them all cooked that, for her. Yes. She's never had to cook. She's no. never had to help. So yeah, this was the beginning of the end. And yeah. when that we got that email, I just you know I, I struggled with it for about a year. You know, trying to make sense of it all. And um, finally, I just said, nope, I can't do this. And I told my husband because they kidnap kids there. Mm-hmm. If if uh, one parent is not in the cult and wants to get custody of those kids, they will ship them to another country and never to be seen again. And that is factual. And that has happened many times. And I know that. Yeah, you witnessed. So I said yeah. to him, I did witness that. Mm-hmm. One of my really good friends got shipped off to Brazil when we were 10, just out of the blue. We were eating lunch and just boom, because the, the cops had caught on to where they were. Anyway... Um, I told my husband, he loved it there, loved our situation in Boston. I said, if you ever want to see me or the kids again, then you better come with us. Cause mm-hmm. I will not let my kids step foot back in this place. Mm-hmm. And we left and never looked back. And that was 10 years ago. Yay. Congratulations. Thank that... you. I'm so glad you're here. <sighs> so post-life, I mean, post-cult, post-life, now you're actually living your life. So post cult you have found an amazing uh, you're about to get married again right I you're am. Saying, so, yay. Yes. congratulations so, thank you and how did you meet him uh, okay so this is funny uh so <laughs> craig and i separated into that right when i left the community yeah. we split up a month later and um i was single for many years and um i just Raising your babies on your own, no connections to anybody in the call, like just gone. Yeah. Wow. And, um, you know, I would go on dates. I would go on first dates. Like I just couldn't ever like 
I, I honestly, I got to the point where I was kind of okay with just like, yeah. growing old by myself, like with my kids, whatever. Um, but my son got on a ski team, on a race team up here in Maine. And uh, Craig had moved back to Maine. He's from Cape Elizabeth, Maine. And um, so, and he was really, really not doing well uh, where we lived. We lived in Sandwich. He was getting bullied in school. And um, so I decided to uproot my whole life and move to Maine. It was the hardest decision I ever made. And I was extremely depressed when I moved here. I was like crying a lot. Just, it was so sad to have worked so hard for the life I had on the Cape. Yeah, because you were saying it. you had your own little house there. Yeah, with some, yeah. it was so nice. Yeah, yeah. I loved it so much. Yeah. Like, I had made my own life. Yeah, like, and that's where I'm from. I'm from down really... there. Yeah, yeah, from Mattapoiset. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, close there. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had such a great, I just, it was so amazing to, like, be able to just be a mom to my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember when we first left, like, sitting down and having a cup of coffee and taking my kids for a walk. I just, like... I can't believe I can do this. Yeah. It was just yep. such a beautiful feeling. It was so simple. Just the simple things, having my own house and like making what I wanted for breakfast. It was just mind-blowing, honestly. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I was so happy. And the kids yeah. were playing. Yes, this but I was in, also yeah. so sad because there's no divorce. And so I had the guilt of the cult. Like, is God upset with me? Am I going to get struck so dead? So much or confusion. something going to happen to my sure. kids? Am I, did I do the right thing for my kids? Did you know, and I, I think I questions. did because, you know, different things that took place in our marriage, it probably wasn't super healthy for my kids because we weren't supposed to be together. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so anyway, I moved to Maine and I'm super depressed. And I think, you know, I had been seeing a therapist for like four years and she had been encouraging me to online date. Yeah. She's like, you're not going to find a guy that you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, where are you going to find him? Yeah, I, right? I don't have time to go to bars. So, you know, I'm working full time. So, meanwhile, you're going kids. to fish shows all this time, too. So, yes, I started going kind sure. of. So, mm-hmm. oh, man, I wanted to say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first left, it was like a sign to me that I had done the right thing because as soon as I left, the Joy album came out. Oh. And I bought it the day it was released yeah. and I cried the whole wow. way. And then I went to my first show post community when I was literally at the show for the first time in real life um, was Bangor, um, Portland, Maine, 2009. That's a great show. And that show show was so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like such a sign to me. And just fish has been well because they because you left in 09 right i did and when then they fish came, came back, back right then it yes time. it was such that a sign the fish story i know because we like didn't get into that people fish like, was like the what? only thing i had really loved Here as a come. teenager you know like when i saw that and i remember i remember going up to a tray just a tray show up in like i don't know if it was university of uh, maine at orno yeah, yeah but it was way up there and uh i remember going around to this window on the side, I was supposed to be passing out tracks, but I didn't want to. I went around to this window where I could see him. There was like the stage and he was right there. And I just, the whole entire show, I just sat there and watched in the window. Just like, there was something that just like awakened my soul yeah. with with like Trey's energy and fish and just everything. I don't know. Yeah. And, and then everything he went through and his openness, it just, I felt such a connection. And then I was like, it was a sign to me. And um, it's funny because I had, like, searched for my mother for years and could never find her. And I reconnected with her through fish. And it has been your, the most – your My mother, spiritually. Spiritually. Oh, okay. Been, Whoa, what am yeah. I missing? Okay, spiritually. I hear you. It's oh, been the most sure. incredible. Yeah. I can't oh, even honey. tell you. Absolutely. Just, like, 
wow. just sobbing at shows, like feeling my mother's presence. And that never happened before. But anyway, fast forward. So yes, I had been going to a lot of shows with my best friend, Jesse, and um, some solo just You'd see the bus there where you just like beeline. Yeah, oh my your, gosh. Yeah, so God, yeah. The first time I was like, you know, really at a show yeah, having right, some yeah. fun, <laughs> I come out after the show and I am lit. Yeah. And there's this girl who was like kind of under me. She was um, in Boston right when I left. And I was like, oh my God. And they were standing there right there, has, passing out checks. She was like, hi. And I was like, hi. And I just beeline the other way. I was like, what the fuck? I literally can't. Yeah. Yeah. Run. No, I avoid them like the black black. Yeah. It's such bad energy for me. It's that, yeah, yeah, I would imagine. It's not even worth it. And they're always so sad when they see me. It's so sad. You're destroying your life. You've thrown away your whole life. Like, I just started living. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I had my first beer and I smoked my first bowl at 30 years old. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so you sorry, online date. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. I keep going and... that. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> so I get to Maine and the only people I know is my ex-husband and his twin brother. And I thought, you know what? High time I listen to my therapist. So I go on Match.com and I kid you not, set up a profile, put up a picture and I was so overwhelmed with messages. At this point, like, I really hate men. Like, yeah. I hated men yeah. from yeah, my yeah, divorce. Yeah. Like, uh, I just did. And um, so I had been not very nice in my profile. I was like, if you are religious or like country music, do not Bye. message me. Because those are two hard lines for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, Randy's Catholic and he loves, loves country music. Oh. He knew nothing about fish. His best friend was a, is a huge fish fan, but he just never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But when it's right, it's right. Yes. So mm-hmm. I deactivated my account after a week because I was so overwhelmed. I had literally hundreds of messages. Yeah. So I went through them and I didn't want to be pressured for a second date. So I chose five dates in one week. And I'm like, at least I'll have someone to have a drink with that's not my ex-husband. Yeah, yeah. And I'm super depressed, so I want a drink. So yeah, whatever. Sure. Um, so Randy was the fourth of the five dates. All the other ones were awful. And I don't know. There wasn't like this sexual tension when I saw him. It was just like this familiarity. Like I like it. Hey, I've known this guy forever. And he like asked me about my job. I was like, yeah. And he's like, you hate your job. And I hated my job. And I'm just like, what the heck? So I was like, I think I want to see you again. And the only reason why I even messaged him, because he was Catholic and like country music, is because he had a daughter. And he said that she was number one in his life. Mm. And my kids are number one in my life. Yeah, yeah. And I really wanted someone that understood that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the rest is history. And then, so I introduced him. I thought, okay, this will be the litmus test of our relationship. I introduced him to fish at SPAC 2016. Woo. All right. His, and uh, second song in, he's like, babe, I'm sold. This is <laughs> wow. amazing. my whole life. Yes. So this year at SPAC, first night at SPAC, he celebrated his 40th show. Yay. <gasps> yep. And we, he kept it a complete, so he's horrible at surprises. Sure. And he kept this a complete surprise. Well, he surprised me with Mexico 2017. Uh-huh. And I, I, I was floored. Yeah. And... Um, I didn't know why, but, like, we had, like, the presidential suite. We had, like, the best of the best. Spoiling you. Well, he had gone to them and be like, hey, I'm going to propose to her, so <gasps> you, can you, like, hook us up? Yeah. And 
Yes, I was having a blast. I had had, recently had foot surgery, so I was like barely walking. The last night of the show, the last night he had, I rode to the show in a wheelchair. (laughs) I just couldn't walk anymore. But um, so the first night we're sitting there, you know, and I don't have a crew at this point. I've just Mm. been seeing shows with my friend. I don't know anybody really. I've met people along the way. Wow. And uh, I put out my sweatshirt and Randy sat down. I sat between his legs. We're just waiting for the show to start. And there's these people, this guy, one guy in front of us, this huge blanket, this guy named David from Colorado. And he comes over and he picks up Randy's feet and he puts him on his blanket and said, join us. Oh, cute. And a huge crew came from Colorado and California and... um, and he was waiting for Waste because that was like our song, you yeah. know, and uh, and he didn't know a lot of fish yet. You know, yeah. we had been to New Year's and he had been to SPAC and that was it. Yeah. So this was like his, you know, fourth show or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Seven Below comes on and I love Seven Below and I hadn't heard it in so long. So I turn around to him and I just gave him a big kiss and said, it can't get any better than this, you know. And And that night I had felt such a strong connection to my mom. It was the weirdest thing. Like the star rose right like to, to the left of the stage. And I just felt like it was my mom. And the whole show, it moved over the stage. And by the end of the show, it was on the other side. And, and it's so weird because I never even thought about getting engaged. But I was like obsessing over getting engaged that night. And I was like, why am I thinking this? This is bullshit. Like we're not getting engaged. We haven't even talked about it. I, I don't even know why. And when I said it can't get any better than this, I turned back around and he taps me on the shoulder, and I think he wants another kiss. So I turn around, and he's down on one knee. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, during Seven Below. <laughs> Randy. It was so beautiful. All these people, <sighs> guys were around us crying. This young kid, he's, like, crying. He said, take good care of her. Oh. And I'm just like, I fucking love this family. Yeah. And so all those people now in that crew, they're like, you have to invite us to the wedding. We're like part of yeah. your crew. And yeah. we meet up with them at every show. It's so beautiful. Uh, it's like we found I'm our like family. I'm covered in chills right now. Yeah. That is just, And wow. oh my gosh, I cannot even tell you. Even Randy has had connections with my mother yeah, at Fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a connection of Miss You came on at the gorge yeah. and we were like, our parents are here. Yeah. Like yeah. it was just very yeah. much. Yeah. Like, I've gotten yeah. so much like affirmation and and like positive reassurance yeah. from my mother through Fish. And in and, and that Joy album that came out, it was, it's not just that a Fish album came out, that album. Yeah. Because like I lost my mother, Trey lost his sister. I connect so much mm-hmm. with those songs, you know, like when Miss You, the first time we heard Miss You, I bawled my eyes out oh, yeah. singing to my mother, you know, yeah, just, yeah. It, it's been so healing for me. Fish is so healing for me. It's, you know, it's my time to have fun because I'm never happier. It makes me, I can't oh, even, yeah. you know, can't oh, even yeah. describe yeah. the happiness. <laughs> right? Yeah. That, yeah. That nothing in this world brings me that kind of happiness. But it's also like really a spiritual experience for me. <sighs> what a freaking amazing start. Yay! Yay! <laughs> right? <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, I can't wait to go to a show with you. <laughs> Me either. Well, this shit's happening because now right. you got all this, too. <laughs> I know. I love it. My, my family just keeps getting yeah, bigger. And... It does. It does. It really does. Wow. Well, Kate, I just thank you. I love you. I love you. you. Really. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, of I course. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> just, I'm so glad you're here. And what an amazing story. Yeah. Because you can write a book. Yes. Yeah. I, yes, I actually have started. Awesome. I started at my mother's grave. Awesome. Year. Awesome. Well, yeah. when that's done, we will pump it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Amazing. You're I'm, so I'm awesome. pretty speechless right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And yeah, Lauren, Thanks thank you. And, it was, yeah. I've never talked about this, so it was really good. I think it's good to absolutely, get it out. absolutely. Well, especially yeah, if I can, if it can help other women. That that's really so that, the, my yeah, inspiration so for talking is yeah. there really are women, especially in religious groups, that are um, very much oppressed and abused and mm-hmm. um if i could be an inspiration for them to have the confidence to to get out yeah and to stand up for themselves it would make it all worth it right yeah mm-hmm. yeah you ready to tell your story and help people heal and yeah. hopefully yeah but an, an amazing woman ch- women and children oppression and abuse mm-hmm. definitely all right well thank you both and um yeah We're female-centric and part of the Osiris Podcast Network. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Peace.